So all I'm going to do is look at the lowest comparable sale for your 10 acre parcel. I'm going to divide by four, and that's going to get me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I'm super excited because we have Mark Podowski on the phone. Mark is known as the land geek and is widely considered to be the country's most trusted authority on buying, selling raw, underdeveloped land. And today's Mark is going to share his journey in the world of buying, selling, leasing raw land as an investment. And he's actively invested in real estate and raw land for over 20 years as an completed over 5,000 unique transactions. But I want you to stay tuned for the end of our episode because we're going to get into the most interesting part, which is how do you automate your business? And Mark, through all the research that I've done, you're one of the best at learning all the different software tools and how everything connects and all that. So I know our audience is going to see some value in that. So I'm just going to stop right there and just say, welcome to the show. Matt Four, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, we like to start off with the difficult questions here. What is your favorite ice cream? So I quit sugar about six months ago, but there is one ice cream that I make an exception for. Okay. It is salt and straw, and it's in San Francisco, Portland, San Diego, Seattle. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. And I love the brownie and the chocolate chip cookie dough. Is it sugar-free? No, but yeah. it's, it's worth it. You had me at salt because normally I'm a salty person more than I am a sweet person, but that just brought to my mind salt and sweet at the same time is the best combination, I think. There you go. Um, well, Mark, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? So today I buy and sell raw land. I teach people how to buy and sell raw land. And my whole mission is to help people get out of what I call solo economic dependency, which means if you're personally not working, you're not making any money. So think if you've got a W-2 job, if you're a freelancer, you're a high paid professional, attorney, dentist, doctor, plumber, right? It's a one-to-one -one ratio. And actually, if you're a professional and you're really good at it, it's even worse because then you're overwhelmed. You have too many clients. So what I'd like to do is help people solve their money problems and their time problems so they can move up Maslow's hierarchy of needs into self-actualization. I love it. I love it. Well, you didn't start off into real estate. How did, how did you get into real estate? So if we you know, rewind to 2000, I was a miserable, micromanaged, 45-minute commute to work and back investment banker specializing in mergers and acquisitions with private equity groups. And Matt, it got so bad for me, I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I'd get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend going by really fast and having to be back at work on Monday. So my firm hires this guy. He's telling me that as a side hustle, he's buying up raw land pennies on the dollar. He's flipping them online and he's making a 300% return on his money. And I'm looking at companies all day long and a great company, great, has 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Average companies, 10%. And Matt, I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So of course I don't believe him. And I got three grand saved up for car repairs. I go to New Mexico with him. I do exactly what he tells me to do. 
I buy 10 half acre parcels, an average price of $300 each. I flip them online. They all sell for an average of $1,200 each. It worked 300%. So I took all that money, went to another auction where I live in Arizona. And again, it's 2000. There's no one in the room. I'm buying up lots of acreage for nothing. And over the next six months, I sold all that land and I made over $90,000. So I go to my wife and she's pregnant at the time. I said, honey, I'm going to quit my job, become a full-time land investor. And she's like, absolutely not. So I said, okay, okay. So it took about 18 months for the land investing income to exceed the investment banking income. And then I quit and I've been doing it full-time ever since. Have you ever done anything outside of land? Or it sounds like you started in land and now you do land full-time. Did you ever do anything outside of land? No, I'm, a, I'm an inch, inch wide and a mile deep. Okay. So you show up to this auction, you sell you know, the I land. I did flip a house once and it was miserable. Yeah. So you show up to this auction, you, you buy this property. Why, why did you decide to just go all in on land? Why did you not decide to look at uh, the other niches out there? So Matt, I'm the kind of guy, I can't even like change a light bulb. So the idea of me managing a contractor at a house or dealing with anything physical was like overwhelming. So land was really simple. I had to deal with anything, nothing to maintain, nothing to protect. Great. I just shuffle paper, make money. Yeah. I like to tell people, I don't even know how to swing a hammer. I don't know my right hand from my left hand. So uh, when I go through the rehab process on a home, I'm really banking on the fact that the contractor is not lying to me and that that thing not, needs to be done. And they're not trying to pull a fast one on me. Yeah. I, I'd be the exact same way. Um, so you mentioned going to an auction. Is that primarily how you buy land today? No, Matt, let me walk you through the process. So you're in Nashville, right? Yes. I'm going to assume that you own 10 acres of raw land in Texas. And I'm going to assume you owe $200 in back taxes. So advertising, two important things to me. Number one, you have no emotional attachment to the raw land. You're in Nashville, properties in Texas. And number two, you're distressed financially in some weird way. Because we don't pay for things, we don't value them in the same way. And as a result, the county treasurer is sending you a notice every month saying, Matt, if you don't pay your property taxes, you're going to lose that 10-acre parcel to a tax deed or tax lien investor. So all I'm going to do is look at the lowest comparable sale for your 10-acre parcel. I'm going to divide by four, and that's going to get me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. So I'm going to send you an actual offer on your land. So let's say that the lowest comparable sale is $10,000. I send you an offer for $2,500. Well, for you, $2,500 is better than nothing. Now, in reality, three to 5% of people accept my quote unquote top dollar offer, but now you accept it. So the next step is I have to go through due diligence or in-depth research. Do you still own the property, right? I have to confirm back taxes are only $200. I have to confirm there's been no breaks in the chain of title. I have to confirm there's no liens or encumbrances. This whole property report checklist. I outsource that to my team in the Philippines. They're connected to an American title company, costs about 11 bucks, and it's very simple. And at the same time that they're doing due diligence, I'm getting GIS maps, plat maps, satellite maps, I'm getting pictures, everything that I'm gonna need for my marketing to sell to another buyer. But in our scenario, everything checks out. I buy the property from you for $2,500.
Now I'm going to sell it 30 days or less. I'm going to make a cash flow like one of your rental homes. So I've got a built-in Best Buyer. Do you know who it is? I know who it is. It's the neighbors, right? It's the neighbors. You got it. You got it. So I'm going to set out neighbor letters saying, here's your opportunity. Protect your privacy. Protect your views. Know your neighbor. Now, if the neighbors pass, I'll go to my buyer's list. If my buyer's list passes, do you know where I'm going next? Craigslist. Craigslist. <laughs> 10th most trafficked website in the United States. Then where am I going? Facebook. Facebook. You got it. Marketplace. Buy sell groups. You've you've listened to me before. I've read the book. You've read the book. And then I'm going to go to go uh, to the lands, landmoto.com, landandfarm.com, landsofamerica.com, landflip.com, landhub.com, all these platforms where people will buy and sell raw land. So the way I'm going to sell is where the magic happens. I'm going to make it irresistible. So all I'm going to ask for on your 10-acre parcel is a $2,500 down payment. And you control this 10-acre parcel. Now, I try to get my money out on the down. So I'll, I'll go six to 10 months out if I have to. And then I'm making a car payment, $449 a month, 9% interest for the next 84 months. So man, it's a one-time sale. I get my money out as fast as I can. And then I've got a passive income of $449 a month, 9% interest the next 84 months, no renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. And because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank, RESPA, and the SAFE Act, all this onerous real estate legislation. And then it's a simple game. Can I create enough of these land notes where my passive income exceeds my fixed expenses and not working because I want to, not because I have to? Yep. So the key there, and this is where the light bulb went off in my head when I read your book, you were talking about getting your money back on the down payment. So you spent $2,500 to acquire this. You pay 20 or you get $2,500 in a down payment. You are now making an infinite return because you've got all your money back, essentially, which I think is beautiful. And then the seller finances, that monthly income stream that I talk about a lot, which is cash flow is more important than just betting on appreciation. I want to break down the three things that I really heard is like getting a list to find qualified uh, sellers, going through the offer process, and then the seller finance on the land title on the back end. So let's start with a list. Where can our listeners go find a list of raw land where people are bad taxes or distressed buyers or something like that? They can go to datatree.com forward slash land geek and get a discount. That's the first place they could go. They can go to the county assessor. It's all public information. They can go to their local title company. They might have it. They could go to a, a site like agentpro247.com or listsource.com, but it's all out there. Yep. And then do you go to particular markets? Like I'm assuming you're not buying infill lots in Chicago. You might be in different markets. Are there different markets you look at? I mean, Matt, let's face it, right? Nobody wakes up, thinks themselves, boy, I'd like some raw land in Iowa today, unless you live in Iowa. So we want to go over the biggest buyer pool, Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, Nevada, California, Texas. Florida, maybe a little bit in the Northwest, Washington, Oregon, maybe some beautiful parts in the Midwest, Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Tennessee. Yep. Yep. I talked right, to North a, Carolina. I talked to a guy the other day because uh, he was selling some land in East Tennessee and that's what he does. He focuses on the, uh, the uh, Great Smoky Mountains, all the property around there, because ultimately as COVID happened, people wanted land. They wanted to spread out. They wanted to get 
and see some pretty scenery. I see you've got what I think is the Smoky Mountains behind you and some pretty scenery there. So that's pretty brilliant. Now you, you send out the offers, you get, you get a list, you send out the offers. And then what I find interesting is you just send out an offer. You don't really uh, say, Hey, call me if you're interested, which most wholesalers do for houses. What, what's the thought process behind there? What's the strategy behind there? I can always make more money. I can't get more time. So I don't want to be in the appraisal business. So that's, that's really the strategy is to really not deal with tire kickers. Yep. Yep. And I've talked to people before and you said 25 cents on the dollar basically is where you start your offer. And most of them, uh, the people that I talk to say, why would someone want to sell 25 cents on the dollar? Don't they know what they have? Don't they know what the market's like? How would you, how would you respond to that? So if I made an offer on everything in your garage right now, 25 cents the dollar that you have not used in over three years, how much of that could I buy? Yep. It's the exact same thing with raw land. They are in Tennessee. The property is in Texas. They've never gone out there. They're sick of paying the property taxes. It is now a liability, not an asset. Yep. Yep. That's it. I think uh, really wholesaling in general is all about solving problems. You're not looking for the person that knows what they have or is, is banking on that. That's their life savings tied up into that land. You're banking on the fact that somebody's in a distressed situation. It's halfway across the country. They've never visited it. They got it from their mammy's mammy's grandpa, milkman kind of thing. And they don't have any attachment to it. So talk to us about the due diligence part of it. Then is there a checklist you have? Are there certain things that people should look for? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, a checklist is so important. It's like a pilot, right? You want to have a checklist. So that's going to be the most important piece. Otherwise, you can get burnt buying a piece of raw land. Another big piece of it is make sure there's no environmental issues. So you go to epa.gov. Make sure you're not buying a Superfund site. One of the benefits of buying this rural land in the Southwest, Northwest Florida, there is no manufacturing. But if we were going to buy in Jersey or Ohio or Pennsylvania, it'd be very careful. Yeah. So you send out the offer, you get it back. Somebody's interested. They sign the contract. You go through your due diligence. You mentioned posting it on those different sites. A common question that I think a lot of people are thinking right now is, what if you can't sell it? What if you buy this big piece of property for a bajillion dollars and you can't sell it? So maybe talk to us a little bit about the price range that you're looking at buying properties and then how you overcome the objection of what if you can't sell it? Okay, so I've done, now I've done this over 6,000 times. Matt, guess how many pieces of property I couldn't sell? I'm guessing zero. Zero. There's a pig for every barn. And the reason there's a pig for every barn is if I buy any asset, 25, 30 cents a dollar, there's someone else on the other end of that deal at 50, 60 cents of the dollar, worst case scenario. So again, we're making our money on the buy. Now, what's interesting about raw land is that I've made a lot of due diligence mistakes. I once bought a piece of property on the side of a mountain. And I talk about this in, in <laughs> Dirt Rich. And uh, I'm like, oh, I paid $2,500 for this 40 acre property. I'll put it up on eBay, a $1 no reserve, 10 days. Well, the first day it got bid up to $2,500. By the 10th day, it was over $32,000. Yeah. I'm, I'm nervous. Like, did I misrepresent it? What happened? Like it's on the side of a mountain, maybe 15 to the 40 acres are even accessible. I call the winning bidder. I'm like, you, you realize it's not accessible. It's on the side of a mountain. It's like, it's perfect. 
he was trying to get permits to film out there. And instead of going through the headache with the county, he just said like it was cheaper for him to buy this 40 acre parcel to, to film. He was a film director in LA. Wow. There is a buyer for everything in life. You just have to find out who it is. I mean, there's 7 billion people on this planet. You're telling me somebody doesn't want to own a piece of land, even if it does have uh, uh, inaccessible area to it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lust for land in this country. You don't even realize. Yep. The question that I'm dying to ask though, is you mentioned land title before. So you, you're selling these, you're getting the money down, then you're putting it on a seller finance. And then I, I think it's called a land title. And I, I, I'll be honest. Oh, it's a land contract. A so land there's contract. De- there's deed of trust, which is what you would do with houses. So the bank typically gives you a deed of trust. That's their lien on your right. house. Then if you don't pay your mortgage, they go through the foreclosure process via a deed of trust. A land contract is different. I own the underlying asset. You have to pay off that promissory note, land sale contract, and follow the steps in the purchase sale agreement. Now, if you're 30 days late, you're in default. You've got 30 days to cure that default. After that, I keep your down payment, I keep your monthly payments, and I resell the property, no costs of foreclosure. Is that only particular to certain markets? You can do it. It's Texas doesn't like them. Florida doesn't like them. But if you have a good real estate attorney, there's a way around it. Okay. Yeah. I, I, so title is, I, I'm over my ski tips here. So these may be ignorant questions, but is that the same thing as a deed in lieu or how is that different than that? No, a deed in lieu is what you do. Like if you have a deed of trust, you don't want to go through the foreclosure process. You would then offer them like, let's say $500 to sign this deed in lieu of foreclosure because your foreclosure process could cost $5,000 and take three months. Gotcha. So you're not signing the deed over to the buyer until the land contract is fulfilled. Correct. Exactly. Till they pay off their note. It almost sounds like an option in a way then. It's not an option. Okay. Because an option is going to be between me and a seller. So I will lock up property with a seller with an option and then doing during due diligence, I could exercise that option. Now, a land contract, I actually sell the property in the contract. They do have use of the property. Sometimes they have to pay a certain amount of money before they can use the property. So it's a little different than an option. Gotcha. Gotcha. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a little over my ski tips when we start talking about uh, uh, deeds and titles and things like that. I, I really rely on experts there because I uh, don't like reading long, long documents to try to figure out what, what they're really trying to say. Sure. I get it. One of the things that I find very interesting about you though, specifically is how you've automated all this. So first off, I'm a fan. When I read Dirt Rich, I soon became very, very interested in this space. And even though I've never kind of ventured down this space, it's because of the activity of it. I work a W2 job today. It seems very active. If you don't answer the phone, if you don't respond to that contract, if you don't do things the right way, you have to plug it up on Zillow or Craigslist and Facebook and all of that. It it just seems very active. But I've heard you talk recently about all of the systems you have in place from how you send out offers to who's going to accept the phone call if there's any questions to how you run due diligence to setting it up on a seller finance. Could you talk us through some of the tools you use or how you've automated your business and... um, uh, freed up some of your time? Yeah. So we want to use in any business, three points of leverage. 
right? We want to use software for automation. We want to delegate virtual assistants, use other people's labor, and then we want to use other people's money as well. So these are the three points of leverage. As far as the automation piece of software, on the front end, we have a software called lgpass.com, the LandGeek proprietary automated software system. So what that does is essentially you upload your list into lgpass, it automatically sends out your offer letters. Now you can even do it on a drip. Maybe you wanna do 20 a day, perfect. Maybe you wanna edit your offer. You can go into LG Pass and say, increase my offer 5%, or you can decrease it. You can do it by a percentage or a dollar amount. You can go in there and fix bad addresses. In fact, it's even better if you don't go in there, you have your virtual assistant managing it for you. Again, the philosophy being, you can always make more money, we can't get more time. So the last thing I want anyone to do is build another job for themselves. So LG Pass takes them from the very front of that model, which we walked through, all the way to closing. Once that deal closes, on the back end is something called geekpay.io. It's a set it and forget it note collection system. So it handles getting the down payments. It handles getting the monthly payments on an automated basis. So it automates the notifications. The uh, buyer can go in and self-serve. They can make a prepayment. They can see what their current balance is. So it, all those annoying phone calls I used to get are gone. And then as far as managing that note as well, as far as if they're in default, it'll notify them as well. And then you know, okay, 30 days, I get to resell this property. And so in LG Pass, it'll upload it to all of the different sites too, like Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace and things like that? So for the marketing piece, it, it's just going to show you where you're marketing, but okay. you'll actually have to have a virtual assistant go in and create the ads. So there's not an API to push that out to the sites because they don't allow it. Yep. You could do your own website, but unless you're you know, paying for traffic to your website, which I don't recommend doing, it doesn't really help you. Yep. Go where people already are. Don't try to drive them away from where they already are. Exactly. We've got a lot of folks that listen to this show that are in technology and are pretty interested in this idea of machine learning, AI automation, and how that competes or maybe goes against labor in the human form of labor. So I guess the simple question I'm trying to ask here is, how do you determine what you can automate with software versus how, what needs that human touch or that person to, to overlook the process? Any best practices there? Yeah, so um, Tesla had a great lesson about this, right? So Tesla's got all this demand and they're not, they're not fulfilling it. And they have completely automated via robots the manufacturing process. So then they get human beings in there and they're five times more productive than the robot. So what I would say is in the beginning, make sure that you and your virtual assistants are doing it first and then automate it. Because what automation really does is it eliminates mistakes, human mistakes. But until you can determine what human mistakes are being made, you shouldn't automate first. So I would say delegate first, then automate. 
I like that line of thinking. And I think most of our listeners know that Microsoft's cloud, their Azure cloud went down one time and it brought down like a number of different sites. It was Netflix, the DOD, I mean, just a bunch of different sites. And when they root cause that, root cause analysis that, it was because one line of code had a period or something in the wrong spot. And so going back to um, most mistakes are human mistakes, it wasn't the software, it wasn't the automation that made that mistake, it was the human inputting that mistake. So um, I like this idea of do it yourself first before you automate. And um, for skeptics out there on automation and AI, I would just point out when the ATM was introduced, they thought banks would go away, that bankers would go away. And since that time, the banking industry has flooded and tremendously grown. And it's because they took out the routine, mundane, non-valuable task of counting dollars and swapping checks back and forth and push that to a, a machine to let it do. And it freed up time to go do mortgage loans and security loans and do all these high value tasks there. Exactly. It's a great analogy. Mark, before somebody goes down this path and gets involved, are there any big mistakes you see people doing? Because I, again, love this space. I'm so interested in the margins and the margin of safety that you talked about, the 300%. Is there any mistakes that you see with your boot camps or people coming in or people trying to do this themselves? So once they get trained, the biggest mistake I see people make is fear-based. They buy a piece of property and then they stop their mailing because they want to sell the property. And it's so common because they don't have confidence. But what happens is it takes about six to eight weeks on your mailing to start getting returned offers. So once you stop your mailing, you've just stopped deal flow for six to eight weeks. I would say never stop mailing. That's the biggest newbie mistake. Now, overall, generally speaking, we make our money on the buy. So really know your numbers well, never, ever overpay and, you know, avoid got to have landitis. That's a, a very common, you know, symptom we see. Yeah, it's very, it's very dangerous. Doctors are, dangerous, are seeing yeah. it all over the place right now. Yeah. You know, these are people that have never, ever thought about buying raw land in their life. All of a sudden they go through the program, like I've got to have land. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got to have land at the right price. Yeah. I love that you pointed out the top end funnel though. I'm in sales. I lead a sales team. And one of the things I always talk about is sales is an up and down sport and a roller coaster. And you got to always remember when you're at the top end of that and getting all this, this income and these sales and things seem to be clicking that if you're not prospecting and finding the next deal, that it will dry up. And once you're in that bottom of that valley, it takes double the work to get out of it because you have no momentum and no place to go. So I'm glad you pointed that out there. Yeah, it's so true. Mark, I want to take us to the last five uh, round here. We call these the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what's a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? So, you know, one of my favorite books is, it's a, it's a combination. So if you read these two books together, it can really make a huge difference in your life. The One Thing by Gary Keller, combined with The 12-Week Year by Brian Moran. I have Trust never me. read The 12 week year, but I've heard really, really good things about it. Is it, yeah. is that essentially like set goals within a quarter kind of thing? And exactly, exactly. So most companies crush it November, December, cause they have an annual goal. Well, yeah. what if you compressed it into four 12 week years? Yep. So every day is a week, every week is a month. Yep. I love it. I love it. Um, our next one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you do every single day. What is something that you do every single day? So I do have some weird habits. <laughs> I can't um, wait to hear them. 
you know, first thing is I have a very, you know, healthy morning routine. So I get up and I'll drink about 16 ounces of water. I'll take about a three mile hike or walk in the sun. So I get my sun exposure, I move, I drink water. So it's, you know, my, that's like my, my morning routine. Then I meditate for 20 minutes to an hour as well. So that's, that's that as well. I'll take a cold shower at least two, three times a week, increase my dopamine. Matt, I'm, get, I'm really weird. I know. How, what have you learned from the meditation on the 20 to an hour? Because this is something that I'm trying to adopt and it's really freaking hard. And for those of you out there that think this is really fluffy, I will tell you, it does clear up your mind. But to sit there and, and just not have dings, buzzes, and your mind actively thinking about your life and your days and the fight you just had with your significant other or whatnot, it's really hard. What have you learned from that? So I'm a long-term meditator now. I've been doing it consistently for about 10 years. And I'd say the first few years, I remember just sitting and I was thinking, well, the entire time, like there might've been 10 seconds of a quiet mind. And I'm like, I'm not doing this right. But in really meditating is just awareness. And it's just being aware of your thoughts. And then once you're aware that you're lost in thought, you just get back, you just go right back to it. That is all it is. But it's really hard not to get lost in thought. And it's really hard not to judge it because what you realize is a judgment is just another thought in the stream of consciousness. So uh, my favorite app is the Waking Up app by Sam Harris. And uh, he's got great meditations and conversations and other types of meditation teachers on there. But I'd say that once you get to enough awareness and enough concentration, your whole life changes because you can, you're aware of the drama, the internal drama, and you can just drop it at yep. any moment in time. So anger that doesn't serve you no longer, you don't need to do it anymore. Your, your reactions are very different. So, you know, it's, it's a very interesting mind place to be, but to be, have a calm mind is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself. You are my inspiration for this. Cause I, I swear every morning or every day during my work day, I am like, all right, I'm sitting down. This is what I'm going to do. And I get about three minutes in and then something happens, right? There's a, there's a notification that pops up or my mind just drifts to, oh my gosh, I forgot that I was supposed to do this. And I immediately start doing it. And I end up not progressing as fast as I want to be because I can't stay focused. And meditation is that discipline, building that muscle and that practice of sitting there, just focusing on one thing, which, you know, sometimes is nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could try non-judgmental uh, meditation and just sit for an hour and let your mind do whatever it wants to do non-judgmentally. And it, after like a month of doing that, you'll, you'll tire out, you know, just calm. Try it. Yep. Yep. I like it. I like it. Um, our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? My mom always says to me, Mark, this is not a dress rehearsal. I like it's that. It's great advice. I like that. I like that. Our fourth one is what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? I'm most proud of, I'd say what we've built at LandGeek because to change a person's life is a very special feeling. And I'm very proud of it. I can die in peace. You know, when someone calls me or texts me or voxes me and says, Mark, thank you so much. I'm able to spend 90% time, 90% more time with my kids. I quit my job. I replaced my income. 
I have security. My wife quit her job. And uh, that is just such a, a, a wonderful, you know, uh, feeling. It's very yeah. gratifying. I like to say that's intentionality, right? When when your income needs are met, all of a sudden you can be more intentional with where you spend your time, who you spend your time with, and be present with those that you are present with. Um, so the the idea that you can give that to people is a, is definitely something to be proud of. Our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? So, you know, you may have not have heard of this guy, uh, Jay Krishnamurti. Have you heard of Krishnamurti? I have not. So he's, he's one of the few people like in recent times that was like enlightened at a very, very young age. And he does these talks and he's written a bunch of books. He's dead now. But to sit and talk with a guy that is the real deal and truly enlightened, I think would be phenomenal. Yeah. Well, Mark, you have given me that today because I have talked to somebody who's truly enlightened and brilliant at what he does. Um, if our people wanted to learn more about you and the systems you have in place and what you do over at The Land Geek, where's the best place we could send them? Well, if they really like the model and they want to try it for themselves, I've got a, a free course they can, they can take, how to double their money, 30 days or less, thelandgeek.com forward slash quick deals. And then just go to thelandgeek.com. Start there. Awesome. Well, Mark, we'll, we'll uh, add those to the show here. I appreciate the time. I, we were chatting right before when I read Dirt Rich, you were definitely somebody that I wanted to connect with. When I started the podcast, you were definitely someone I wanted to have on the show. So I thank you so much for the opportunity to have this time. And we look forward to having you back on soon. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.